Welcome to the Employers Legal Lounge with your host, Michael Sullivan and Associates Managing Partner, Eric DeWong. Each month, we dive deep into a specific topic to provide you with valuable insights and guidance for navigating the complex world of California employment regulations. This podcast is provided for informational purposes and does not constitute legal advice. Only your attorney, with complete knowledge of the facts and circumstances of your situation, can determine how the relevant laws apply. Now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to Employers Legal Lounge, Episode 4. My name is Eric DeWam, Managing Partner at Michael Sullivan Associates Employment Law Department. Uh, Employer Legal, Legal Lounge is here for you to get the latest updates on employment law and uh, legal updates for California in general, mostly employment, but where it crosses over into other laws as well. This is for insurance carriers, HR consultants, HR in general, uh, employers, brokers, um, all of those that are interested in navigating these wild and crazy laws that we have in California. So um, before we get to our special guests today, and as you know, we always have a uh, special guest, uh, a leader in the industry. Um, a few notes um, about uh, Pyra. I just came in from a conference from Pyra. It went great in Riverside for CLU 24. Um, and we have some updates on for those interested in the Pyra College Relations um, Committee. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, it is our committee that is working with HR um, students in different uh, universities and colleges, trying to get the mentors and experience out there to be our next leaders in uh, the HR community. Right now, um, our community has been working very hard and we have these uh, different uh, chapters that are working with students on mentorship programs. We are looking right now for mentor volunteers out there. So if you're an HR leader, a professional that wants to give back to the community, please um, let us know. Let me know if you'd be interested in mentoring uh, these students. They will greatly appreciate it and it is a lot of fun. So. Uh, let's get down to business and our subject today. Today we have, of course, somebody who needs no introduction, but I'll still introduce, introduce him. It's Mike Sullivan of, of course, Michael Sullivan and Associates um, is joining us today. Uh, for those of you who don't know uh, Mike, but you should, he is the founding partner of uh, our firm, uh, Michael Sullivan Associates. He do, knows everything and does everything, workers' comp, all the things that I don't do since I do only employment law. Um, so we meet somewhere in the middle, and he is also the uh, the owner uh, of uh, IEA Insurance Education Association. As many of you know, that is our um, our resource for HR and risk for education and certifications um, out there. And if that wasn't enough, he also um, started something that um, most every person who works in workers' comp in California uses Sullivan on comp. It is the Bible from what I'm told for workers comp, uh, judges and workers comp use it, all the attorneys use it. And uh, Mike started that sometime back in 2012. So welcome, my friend. Welcome, Mike. Thanks. Boy, you put all that in there. It sounds like I work really hard. I know, doesn't it? See, <laughs> I, I I read all the notes you told me to read. So oh, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> got my rhinoceros here, which is our logo. Yes, I, I don't have the branding today. But yes, you, you're representing for both of us. I like it. <laughs> so as we start, what we do in the in the legal lounge, my friend first is an opening cheers. Um, and what's your beverage today? Uh, none of your business. Uh, okay. <laughs> it might be mezcal. 
Mezcal. Hey, Mezcal. Mine is a Dos uh, Artes Tequila. So we're thinking the same thing. Sounds Cheers. good. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Okay, everybody. So what are we going to talk about today? We have captive for us uh, the Guru of Workers' Comp. So I want to start with Workers' Comp and really this crossover between um, Workers' Comp and, comp and the trends that we're seeing out there. And then we'll get into a little bit of how it uh, goes into employment law. So my, my friend, what are you seeing out there and the trends out there for workers' comp, uh, what you know, the attorneys are dealing with, what our clients are dealing with um, these days? You know, I have to say, it's kind of all quiet on the Western front with, uh, with workers' comp. We went through those major reforms in the last couple of decades, and they've been implemented. Uh, one thing that is, a no, and so we don't, we don't see a lot of, you know, news about workers' comp these days. Uh, one thing that is happening is that um, the COVID presumptions yeah. um, have been repealed. And so by operation of law. So uh, that's pretty significant because not only did they come with a, a burden of proof on the employer, but they came with all these requirements and penalties. Yes. Uh, there was, um, you know, normally you have 90 days to deny a case. And in, in those some of those cases, it was 45 days or 30 days. And also there's special penalties up to $50,000 for bad faith denial. And um, that was pretty scary. And that's and gone? There was all this work that you had to do as an employer in order to track whether there had been an outbreak at, at one of your work locations. So all that stuff is just gone, baby, gone. And, you know, I'm doing a, a webinar, I think, in the next couple of days with my co-author, Sher Log. And the striking thing about it is that it seems to, the repeal, that is, seems to apply to all dates of injury. Um, There was this case called wiener i'm not kidding you that was the name of the case <laughs> can't make that stuff up Go way back in the day when they repealed uh vocational rehabilitation and there was millions and millions and millions of dollars in back vocational rehabilitation maintenance allowance which is like temporary disability that was outstanding and owed in the industry throughout thousands of cases and they repealed voc rehab and we took wiener all the way up to the court of appeal and they held that those benefits weren't owed anymore. And that was viewed as a real substantive taking away of a benefit. But the the Supreme Court said, hey, the California Constitution says that the legislature has plenary power to do what it wants with workers' comp. And some people think that that means that the legislature has plenary power to do what it wants with workers' comp, including taking things away. So in these cases, if there's no final order that is the all the way to the court of appeal, you know, but still uh, at issue, these presumptions, right. all the things that go with them. I'm thinking based on precedent that all the presumptions are just gone and you can reapproach the case, whatever case it is, with a new standard of proof, um, regardless of what stage of litigation it's at. So I'm assuming that the the burden back on the employee. Um, yes, it does. Yeah. Um, but think about it. You're an applicant's attorney. You have a presumption. You go to trial. You win. The defense attorney does a recon. The recon's denied. You file a writ. And now 
the standard of proof that was used to prove the underlying case no longer exists. So what does that mean? And so I'm looking forward to exploring that more, we're sure, in our webinar. It's, what date it's, is that? Just so we know? When is uh, it coming up? The repeal? Or the old uh, webinar? I don't know. It's, it's pre-recorded. Um, but it's being recorded, I think, next week. Fantastic. I'll put that out there as well yeah. um, for those interested in that. And it is, and, you know, we get those questions, you know, quite a bit, especially, you know, COVID issues still coming up. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of those have also been, um, have expired in the employment law sector and OSHA sector as well. It's something we still have to keep an eye on. There's, you know, guidance from the uh, California Department of, uh, uh, of Public Health that we still yeah. keep an eye on as recommendations. But largely, you know, um, these have gone by the wayside. Um, but, you know, when we were in it, because you and I did dozens of presentations during the pandemic. Well, you know, we did a book, uh, if you put yeah, it out, probably 300 pages, right? And you, you and I did that. And, yep. and we had thousands and thousands of people looking at that book during COVID. And we did, I think, through Solvent and Comp, we did 30 30 webinars. Yes. One every week. Um, just on COVID and the law. And it was so, you know, so new and yep. so and so unknown that we were really going crazy. I was just talking to Jake Jacobs Meyer, and you know, I did he got COVID while he was on a boat at the beginning of the COVID crisis. He went into a coma for a month. Wow. Yeah. And he um thought when they woke him up. It took him three days to convince him that he was not in Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> so, that, man, it's I, that, remember those times, man. Remember those couple of years? It was it, just. It was the Wild West again crazy. in the law because it was changing um, every week. And we, that's why we're doing a weekly webinar. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the law from the week prior became irrelevant because they changed it. The legislature was just doing these emergency standards all the time. Yeah. So, you know, it changed all all the time so yeah. i'm sure the fact that it's quiet on on the front for workers comp is kind of nice because it hasn't been quiet for the last few years um, well yeah they still want us to close cases fast they still want us to close cases fast and it's still i, I mean it still comes up in my role i don't know if it, it does you know as much as in yours with these presumptions gone but you know you know COVID still comes up and whether or not it's um, a disability and what do we do with this? There's no sick pay. So we deal with this still in a lot of ways. We don't have these mandates, but we have, you know, mandates under um, ADA and FIHA for, you know, if it's a potential disability, right? Sure. And then we have, you know, um, employers saying, well, you know, do they catch it at work and do we have to give them a claim form and all these types of things. So long the COVID, things there's long COVID and yes, that and does it exist and what does it mean? And right. And, and, and largely, at least in my world, what we do is we just go by the medical note. What does the medical note say? You know, what's the accommodation? Those types of things. Um, and, you know, we follow that. We don't read behind it. But I think the question from the workers' comp component, and I get this on all sorts of, you know, conditions, you know, they come in and they're, you know, their, you know, wrist is apparently hurting. Do we give them a claim form? Because they type all the time, right? Are and you asking me? I, and, and I am going to punt this to you because I don't think people uh, necessarily believe me when I say um, what I hope you're going to say about the standard for doing the claim form, because this creates not only problems in workers' comp when people pull the trigger too quickly, uh, it, it translates potentially into employment law problems as well. It reminds me of a story. This was like 20 years ago, but I got a bunch of cases because an insurance broker went into an employer 
to give a sort of a training on workers' comp and he described cumulative trauma injuries. And at the end of the training, four employees approached the employer and said, you know what? I need to file a claim form because I, <laughs> because I think I have a cumulative trauma injury. And I thought, oh man, what are you doing over there? Oh man. Yeah. But uh, if you're asking me what the standard is for when a claim form needs to be provided uh, to an employee, you know, there's sort of a difference of opinion um, in uh, between the case law, uh, the attitude of the Workers' Comp Appeals Board, and the attitude of the audit unit. Um, but I believe that the case law is controlling. There's this case called Honeywell, which is a Supreme Court case. I think it was 2005. And uh, in that case, um, a woman calls the employer, the wife of an employee, and says, my, my husband's checking into a mental hospital because of what you've done to him with all of your head games. And um, they looked at the statute, and the statute says that the employer, in order to provide a claim for him, has to know that there's been a work-related injury. And the applicant's attorney was arguing that there was knowledge, or at least absent that, uh, a reasonable certainty on the part of the employer that there was you know, some kind of work-related injury based on that evidence and Supreme Court held that there was not knowledge that the Supreme Court has held that the employer did not have knowledge under those facts when she calls and says you've driven him crazy with your head veins and off he goes to the hospital that did not constitute knowledge of a work-related injury and they said explicitly reasonable certainty is not enough you must know that there's been a work-related injury so that's you know the employer community was a big fan of that decision well, abs I mean, hey, a win for employers, you know, good for you and workers comp. We don't get many of those in my world, right? Yeah. So, well, we don't get any in our world either. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, the thing about it is, is that the workers comp appeals board being what it is, you know, there's a lot of subsequent lower level cases, board level cases, where you would think under that standard that there would not be knowledge, but nevertheless, there's found to be. And we have an audit, as you know, our firm represents just about all the TPAs, Um when yep. the audit unit comes calling and does consulting and even litigating with the audit unit. We're in the first trial that audit units ever had right now. Um, really? Over, yeah. Pilar is doing, Pilar Mitchell up in, uh, in um, Fresno, Fresno is taking the audit unit to trial uh, based on a dispute over their findings on an audit. And um, the audit unit has a tendency to say, well, you should have provided a claim form, but, but I, in my mind, the legal standard is clear. And, and another thing is, you know, if you give, uh, let's say you have a relatively uneducated employee who's not a legal sophisticant, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you give them a piece of paper, what do they do with it? They fill it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they fill it out and then they give it back to you. That's true. No, that's, that's And true. then you have a claim. So, you know, I, I always... I always advise employers to sort of hold their ground. You know, if you see someone fall down and break their back, give them a claim form. If right. some some employee says, you know, Bob has a hurt back, you don't go ask Bob, well, how'd you hurt your back? Exactly. And this is and this is where I get some, you know, issues. Workers comp is different than our world. We usually and we also usually wait until reasonable notice, some type of notice that there's a disability, some type of condition, right? And they conflate that and they say, well, you know, they uh, they type all the time and they have this, you know, um, this 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 wristband on for carpal tunnel. 
you know, do we give them a claim form? Did yeah. they ask for a claim form? Did they say that that wristband is, you know, fr not from playing tennis too much or mm -hmm. it's actually from work? And the answer is no, but are we creating risk? And it's so crazy. I hear, I hear uh, defense attorneys, not from our firm, but yeah. uh, from other firms saying, first things first, make sure everyone's got a claim form. And I'm always thinking, why? And they're yeah. because they're trying to establish the statute of limitations defense. But look, in Sullivan on Comp, um, chapter six, there's all the different ways the employer is going to lose the statute of limitations defense, right? And there's like 50 of them. So I, I always say, when you have a statute of limitations defense, you have to find out ahead of time why you're going to lose. So, because you just can't in workers' comp. I mean, I've done it a couple of times, but you really got to throw the needle. So my judgment is that provision of a claim form where you don't actually have knowledge is a mistake. Yeah, and Honeywell is controlling. It's, Supreme, it's California Supreme Court, right? So, you know, I... Um, this is the one area and I tell people, but they're like, oh, you're not a workers' comp attorney, Eric. And I actually quote Honeywell. Uh, and because, you know, one of the one things I know about workers' comp. <laughs> and I say, you know, don't, you know, this isn't an Oprah thing where you get a claim form, you get a claim form, you get a claim <laughs> form, right? It is, you know, something that's very decisive in actual knowledge. This is one of those places where you actually have to know. Mm -hmm. So use that um, right. in that sense, right? Use our, you know, uh, use common sense also, but also use, you know, that standard as the tether. And, because, and if you're doing it for one, you have to do it for everybody. So being yeah. consistent is, you know, really key. Um, you mentioned, you know, TPAs, and I wanted to bring this up because this is coming up more and more, and we're getting cases in about this. Um, I mentioned this, I think, on episode uh, one of uh, the podcast, but I'm going to, you know, bring it up again because we're now seeing cases on this, which is what we've called the Reigns case. It's Reigns versus HealthWorks Concentra. And tell me about that case. Yeah, it, it's. I it's, like that case. Nobody likes that case. Is there any chance so, we can just pretend it doesn't exist? You know, let's do that. Let's just forget about it. And it's it. it and the, the thing is, most people don't know about it. Still, employers don't know about it. I go to HR conferences a lot, as you know. I've done four in the last week. Um, and when I ask people who know about it, there's a handful of people, and those handful of people that know about it know about it because they've listened to our podcast or they've seen me in a conference somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so this is a case that just came out in August. Just basic facts are, you know, Reigns goes in um, and she's at she, a kitchen worker, public entity. You know, they ask, you know, everybody to go and get a um, a conditional offer of employment. They do a Medieval and they do that through Concentra and HealthWorks. They go and do it. They spend about a half an hour there. Right. And then she fills out a form. So she fills out this form and she's offended by this form given by Concentra and HealthWorks, mm -hmm. which says and arguably there's some things in there that's asked about you know, your menstrual periods and all these types of things, which are kind of odd questions. And I still haven't figured out why those questions are in there, but I'm not going to try and read behind that. What the real important thing is, is she said, hey, I'm offended by this. This is, you know, violating my rights. This is, you know, uh, and, and this is a violation under the Fair Employment and Housing Act. So I'm going to sue you, HealthWorks and Concentra, under the Fair Employment and Housing Act. And they Based say- on the idea that you're an employer just by doing the employment screening. Yes. And, and in Concentra, you know, responds going, hey, we never gave you a handbook. We never gave you a, um, a an offer of employment. We've only you don't work here. You, yeah, you don't work here, yeah. and we don't um, we don't even know who you are. So how are we your employer? And she's and the argument was, you know, you did something for the employer. You're a third party. So this goes to the Ninth Circuit, federal court. Ninth Circuit goes, oh, this seems like a pretty clear case. It doesn't sound like an employer. But wait, hold on a second. It's California law, right? You guys are crazy over there. I'm going to send this to the California Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So nothing good 
comes from the California Supreme Court for us. And but even knowing that when I saw this, I'm like, hey, this case, there's just no way. Come on. But August, Concentra HealthWorks, you're the employer. Third parties that employers hire out to do these types of things, anything an employer might do or tether out somewhere else can be under the umbrella of the Fair Employment and Housing Act, discrimination, harassment, um, all of those wrongful termination, um, failure to accommodate, disability discrimination, all of those things they can now be responsible for, for employees they never thought they had. So what does this mean? And what is, you know, the people who are in the know are really um, hustling right now because, hey, we have all this other exposure, HR consulting firms, third-party administrators, like the ones that, you know, work between in workers' comp between the employer and the carrier, and they're handling all these medical notes. Um, insurance carriers themselves. These are the types of cases we're getting in and the plaintiff's attorneys under every rock in California um, it, are using this to say, hey, we have another pocket to pick out there. And um, and this is really generating. So I'm getting, you know, I've seen at least three cases come by my desk. I know there's many, many more. So, um, you know, I, I guess the, the question is, you know, do we, you know, where do, you know, what do we do as, you know, the, the attorneys, you know, in this situation, um, dealing with third-party administrators and, you know, telling them where the line is, right? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, the employer asks the TPA for advice, right? Mm -hmm. They say, hey, you know, what do we do with this now? Because they have a medical note that says, you know, uh, can't return to work or permanent restrictions, those types of things. And, you know, of course, you always want to take care of the client. So the TPA says, oh, you know, it sounds like you're good, right? Uh, type of thing. But by doing that, they are now in this reins world where they're potentially the employer. If they get it wrong, they're in another pocket. You really think that under reins, the TPA might be considered an employer by giving advice regarding return to work? Yes, 100%. That's exactly the cases we're seeing. Wow. Exactly the cases we're seeing. Um, so, you know, um, in doing that, you know, I've, um, I've spoken to, you know, multiple and multiple of our clients that do the TPAs. And, you know, my recommendation is, hey, this comes down to the contract, right? Um, of who has responsibility in these cases, you know, because you can still get brought in, even if you do everything right, and you don't give the advice, they mm -hmm. might still try and bring you in. So it comes into the negotiation of these agreements with these employers and how you're doing it. It's harder with public entities, you have JPAs and all this kind of stuff, and the mess. But that's where part of it is. But it's also about policies for the people handling these. Hey, right. where's the line for you, right? And I know for us, and you know, um, when we because we have a workers' comp department, we have our employment law department, and we don't tread in each other's world, right? We what we do is when you know the uh, employer or TPA goes to workers' comp attorney and says, "Hey, so what do we do about this return to work?" They go, "Hey, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to defend your workers' comp claim." But you know, uh, talk to Eric. Um, and if, you know, and if we're engaged, then we talk about that because it's a whole separate thing. So we're not getting in that mess, but well, I, you know, um, the two areas are so deeply enmeshed. I mean, in order yeah. to defend against the voucher, for example, or defend against liability for TTD, uh, the applicant's ability and the injured worker's ability to return to work or whether an offer of work is made is an integral part of work. There's forms, right. That doctors fill out. You know, and terminations are made in um, regards to liability for workers' comp benefits. Advice is given. Yeah. Um, and the two are just so inextricably linked that you can see how this could really turn into a mess really fast. 
it, it, it really can. And of course, you know, the allegations that are going to be out there are going to be very broad and we have to defend it. And somewhere along the line, which goes to the appellate courts and the California Supreme Court, if they ever take it up, are the lines that will be drawn for Reigns. But we have none right now. Right now, it's, you know, kind of the wild, wild west of this new employer world. Um, and, you know, what do we do with it? We're still, if we get sued on it, we still are probably not going to get dismissed on a motion for summary judgment. God, I love California. It's a train wreck, right? Yeah. So uh, it's, you know, it, it's one of those places where I'm never surprised about these cases that come out. But this one really did, um, you know, turn my head. And I wonder, I wonder how that might be interpreted on a federal level for like ADA stuff. Well, they used some cases in different circuits um, that were the Ninth Circuit, but other circuits that had some language. It was mostly dicta which uh, for those out there just means they're kind of talking about it, but they don't real. it's not a real ruling, suggesting that these laws could get tethered out to third parties if they're doing work for the employers. But it's never been in federal law, the law that employers are these third parties under right. the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's not the, that's not the law, um, even though they saw, cited some federal opinions. So this is new in the United States. Of course, California is always the first, right? The only, you know, the only other first is San Francisco um, of, you know, these types of things. And if you have San Francisco employees, you know, beware. Hey, man, say um, what you want about Gavin Newsom. He has great hair. Yes. <laughs> and great teeth, I got to say. And that's where it ends. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, these so these are the kinds of things we have to stay on top. So I think the message, I don't know. I mean, the message internally for, you know, us, obviously, is to at least let our you know, our clients know, the third party, you know, TPAs know, employers have to know um, on, you know, my end, because they have to know that these other, you know, organizations are potentially tethering them by their conduct to liability if they do it wrong, right? HR consulting firms, you know, for example, which, you know, happens a lot. So um, that, again, comes down to the agreement. Our, you know, my clients who are employers, they're putting in and building in, hey, if you muck this up, we're not responsible. Mm -hmm. You are. Um, and they're ahead of the curve because so few understand this yet. Within a year, they'll really understand it because the lawsuits will be out there. But right now is the time to negotiate these contracts. Um, sorry, I got on my soapbox about this, but this has been... <laughs> hey, man, it's a hot topic. People need to know. Yeah, um, yeah but let's get to something that um, is more... Now, wait a minute. Are, are they going to sue the lawyers too? Because that that's un-American. It is uh, absolutely un-American. Uh, so this is my thought on that. Um, I think, and this is where we probably need to be, um, as, uh, as lawyers in California, when we're doing these things, we have to have a client relationship, right. And engagement as opposed to, and when we're doing presentations, like we, you know, we're doing now and we do otherwise, um, we have these disclaimers, Hey, we're not telling you this is what to do. We're, if this is for education, right. We're not your lawyers. You know, if you want us to engage, then we engage, you know, in it. If we're under that cloak of the engagement, I think we're largely protected in this, right? Because otherwise, employees would never be able to give an employer advice at that right. point. They'd always be an employer. So right. I, I, I'm pretty sure I'll go on and allege, even in California, that that will never be pierced. Um, but all these others, you know, insurance carriers who really don't give advice to employers, they're not known for that, Right. Um, I can imagine, you know, accountants will probably be also protected because they're supposed to give, you know, certain types of advice and stuff like that uh, to employers. So these certain professionals that have these engaged relationships probably will, but um, others not so much. 
so who knows? I, I, hold on. I got to make a call about my EPLI insurance and my malpractice insurance. Yeah. Um, and those, and that's, that's another good point because people think, Hey, I have EPLI insurance, but does that EPLI insurance cover you if you're an employee employer for somebody you never thought you're an employer for just because it's under FIHA. So will they even cover you for that? Um, so you need to go to your, your policies as well. Good point. Um, will that policy actually- I was just making a joke, but- I, I, I know, but you I know me. I made a good Actually, point. <laughs> <laughs> so that was lucky. Uh, um, so one of the things I really, one of the main reasons, um, of course, workers comp, but one of the really uh, big reasons I wanted to talk with you today is AI in the world. Um, and the reason is, and we've talked about this a long time ago when you started, you know, I remember you calling me and saying, have you done this chat GPT thing when it first came out? And it was, you know, still people couldn't get on and all that kind of stuff. And you, you know, this is, the, you know, uh, the new world. This is the way it's going to be. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Mike, I'll get better. Um, and uh, I will tell you that that has translated to be very, very true. Um, because this is a tool out there that people are using for all sorts of reasons, good and bad um out there but um on sullivan on comp i know we've been integrating that so tell us a little bit about how ai has been working for workers comp it's different in employment law so don't attach these to employment law issues we'll talk about that but how's it working for workers comp well you know when i first heard about artificial general not artificial general intelligence generative ai i knew immediately that that it was going to completely change our world yeah, wor workers comp is high volume, highly algorithmic. You know, um, my biggest gripe about workers comp lawyers is they can become sort of cookie cutter lawyers. Yeah, so much of it is just is so much is according to a complex, but um, you know, well defined in some cases, a set of rules, a lot of rules, but rules, right? Yeah, and how and work processes and workflows and all that. Um, and using, I think probably like everyone else out there using chat GPT four, I used it for days. I played dungeons and dragons with it. It was my dungeon master and it did a great job and a continuing narrative that it completely manufactured out of nothing, uh, for me to interact with it, you know? Wow. Um, well, on the dungeons and dragons thing and also on the AI part of oh, both of those. Right. <laughs> well, you passed the bar, passed the medical boards. I mean, the thing, you know, college students that are, are using it to write papers, college professors are using it to write lesson plans. It's just a revolution in the level of capability that um, computers have in, in all aspects of life. Um, and you're seeing, I just pre-ordered a little badge you wear on your shirt and it sees everything. And it, you can, you hold your hand out and you can read your texts on it and you can talk to it. And it's the beginnings of a, um, of a virtual assistant, which wow. will know everything, do everything, can order anything, can give you any information, you know? So I looked at workers comp and I said, you know, in 10 years, about, let's see, about half or more of what we do is review and analysis, right? We get a pack of papers, we do an initial file review. We get a QME report, we do an analysis of that report, write a letter. Uh, we get a medical reports, so we analyze them uh, under workers' comp law. We figure out what they mean. You know, the um, 
we modify our perspective on what benefits are owed and what liability is due. We change our recommendations for action and we write letters, we write emails and we review and analyze documents. That's what we do. And the other half of the time we go to court or do depots. <clears throat> and I realized that in 10 years, we're not going to do that anymore. We're just not. Um, What's going to happen? AI will do it better and faster and cheaper um, vastly than anything any workers' comp lawyer could do today. So we're going to end up going to depots, going to um, going to court, negotiating with the opposing counsel. But the rest, not so much. The rest is going to be run by artificial intelligence. And so it's just a matter of time. And, I, and then I said to myself, you know, um, there's going to be two kinds of law firms out there. Because when we don't have to do half the work, we're only going to need half the lawyers. So there's two kinds of law firms out there and workers comp for sure. And in your area, not as much because it involves such heavy lifting on such particular matters. But in my world, it's going to be half the firms are just going to go down. Yeah. And the ones that get ahead of AI are going to do really, really well. And so we made an immediate commitment to going very deep with AI. Now, AI was already part of our practice um, before the advent of generative AI. There's a lot of companies out there that do things like scan mail, identify documents, save them, forward sure. them. Um, and that saves a ton of time. And we've been implementing that for a couple of years with an outside vendor. Um, and a lot of these, and there are like mm, three or four independent vendors out there in California that claim to do things like review records. Um, generally, they do it very poorly because they don't, do it in the context of a case. Right. Right. Your attorney hat on. Yeah. Right. So that doesn't really work yet, but it's gonna. Um, and so anyway, so what we decided to do is uh, in addition to enhancing our use of generative AI operationally and in terms of marketing or, um, you know, forward facing um, materials to the world was to try and uh, we did a lot of that. We're doing a lot of that you know, uh, is to create chat SOC. Chat SOC. Uh, yeah, solve it on comp, chat SOC. So we've been working on that for about a year. We launched it this week as a beta. And um, it's cool. It, it, what uh, do? What, what, well, what you do is work? instead of like typing in um, your search terms, you just talk to it as if it were a workers comp lawyer. And it really works. You say, what does it mean that um, what is an actual event of employment for purposes of psychological claims? Which, by the way, 90% of lawyers don't know what that is. Right. Um, and then it just gives it to you. You say, well, I have a case and this happened and that happened. What do you think? And the thing says, well, you know, here's, the, you know, there's some factors here that would be actual events. These, these wouldn't be actual events of employment. And here's why. And it, so you, what about this? What about this? And it, it just talks to you as if you were, you know, not only can it help you look up the law, but it can help you analyze a thought process. And then on top of that, it can generate documentation. So you have to send a letter to a QME and uh, on a point of law, and you just um, you ask it to to give a explanation of the legal point, and it does so extremely coherently. You copy paste it into your letters. Yes. So you write an email about this. It does. Um, so. Uh, it's really cool. I, I went around to all our offices. We have 10 now throughout the state in the last couple of weeks. And I asked the lawyers in, in our firm, 
are using this and what are you using it for? And a lot of them are asking questions like, oh, I ask a question and answers it. But a lot of them use it as an advanced search function because you can just put in your question and answers it, but embodied within it is a link to the section of Solvent on Comp right. um, that applies. You just click through and now you're reading what you want to read. Uh, so we're doing all that stuff. And I got to emphasize, Mr. Eric, that this is just the beginning. It, I mean, when we're developing products that can do review and analysis of uh, different aspects of the claim as it goes forward and can and can be and will become more and more and more sophisticated. Yep. So you can feed it a document and the thing spits out an analysis under the law. And I think it's just a matter of time before um, it will be able to do that in light of right. a particular case you're handling. And I, I think this is, you know, really exciting for you because, and workers comp in general, because the problem with the other um, AI versions is they're out of date on law. Like I use chat GPT um, to, you know, test it out for law and it's way behind. It's 2021, you know, type of stuff. There's other uh, search engines that actually, you know, hallucinate certain things. Well, um, look. You have that famous case where all the, the citations were hallucinated. Yeah. But but ChatGP4 created what is essentially a sort of an app store where you can right. you can load on your material on top of the overall LLM. Yep. And it doesn't hallucinate and it's very accurate because it starts with your materials and um it really, really does extremely well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking with because you know, chat SOC is based on the actual already legal materials that are created. Yeah. Right? So and, and so it's not, you know, created by outside party. It's already a controlled environment where the information is there from an attorney and a set of attorneys. And it that, protects privacy. And yeah. it and it and but you basically connected your materials to the overall LLM and its functionality. Yep. And you know, it's not limited by the materials either. You can ask it about what spondylolithesis, you know, yep. and medical terminology and how it relates to disability. And it can answer all of these questions because it not only has solvent and cop on it, but the whole internet world. Right. Um, so it's pretty incredible. And it's just, it's just at the beginning stages. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know what's, what an LLM is. Oh, large language model, like yeah. ChatGPT, yeah. Google has one, uh, Microsoft has one, and there's various, you know, we tried them all and, yeah. It took a lot of development work, but we finally figured it out. But there's a lot of LLMs out there. Some are free source. Uh, they don't work real well. Yeah. You know what I did, Eric? Hmm. So when I, when, I, um, <laughs> when I interview a new lawyer, I ask him about 20 questions about the law. It just, what's the law on this? What's the law on this? What's this rule? What's that rule? Just to see what they know. And then I'll throw hypotheticals at them. You know, like I was in this situation. What do you think I did? Or here's a situation. What do you do? Mm -hmm. I took that through ChatGPT4, and it sucked. I took it through Sullivan on Comp, and it I would have hired it. Wow. And I'm, I only hire one out of every three lawyers I interview. I mean, it was awesome. It gave answers better than I would give sometimes. I wrote the freaking book. Yeah. You know? And so... That's... It, and that's the, the control part that I think is exciting. You're not just worrying about you know, some, you know, random, you know, set of LLMs out there that you're not sure where this information is coming from. It's mm -hmm. already a vetted area of law, right? Yeah. And it's that, you know, SOC is the treatise. Now, 
I want to give some, because, you know, that type of scenario is what you want to look for, for those, you know, listening, if you're using these functions, something that's more controlled like that, when you're doing these, I want to do, you know, you to be cautious, because what I'm seeing out there in my world, in the employment law world, is people get really excited, you know, about these things. You know, there was before that I was telling HR and employers, don't Google your employee handbooks, right? Don't Google these things, you know, it's a mess. Now they see chat GPT and these other, you know, AI platforms, and they're like, hey, I can just feed this into it. And, you know, I don't have to, you know, hire anybody or do anything. I just use this. Mm -hmm. And so we go through these, you know, um, these samples and they are a mess. They are just a lawsuit waiting to happen. So, you know, you have to be careful of where you're getting this information from, from the employment law standard. Now, if you have a control center and workers comp, I just want people to be careful employment law. This is an area you, st it's just the beginning like don't do your job descriptions by asking for ChatGPT and put that out there. You're going to get in trouble. Um, it, it's a place to maybe start, but you need to have the people who understand it to do the work to get through it, to get it right. It's just too risky out there. In yeah, life. for now. Yeah, for now. And but that's, but and that's the thing. thing. Those, that's the thing about employment law. It's different because yeah. you have to tailor it to the individual realities it's the employer. It's, it's very complex and very particular to the the set of facts in front of you. Yes. And so I think that like things like bankruptcy, wills and trusts, workers comp. Yep. We're going to get eaten by AI before you guys are. But once artificial general intelligence comes, then it's it's all bets are off. We all need to find other jobs. Yeah. We're all going to be painting and doing plays and playing video games. Doing all the things computers. that only humans can do uh, yeah. for, the time, for the time being. It's and it's a reality now, and it's going so fast. I mean, it, which feels like just yesterday, you and I had this talk about me first hearing about ChatGPT, mm -hmm. and now it's an everyday conversation. So I think- It really the, is, you know, and I, it was an odyssey getting to where we are now. I mean, originally I thought I'll have to do an IFR. I paid this company $200,000 to try to design that. They said it doesn't yeah. do that. And it's all kinds of false starts and, and modified visions. Um, and what's striking about it, and I think this is your point, is this is exponentially increasing pace on this radically transformational technology. Yep. So we are going to be dancing. We are. And we already are because, I mean, in the state bar, is, uh, California state bar is not known for being ahead of the curve. But, but we have, even at the California state bar, a whole list of new re regulations using AI. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, now it, attorneys are you sent under. that to me. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I had to read it. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, but attorneys now have these professional rules of conduct when engaging with AI and using it in our, our practice. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the case. So keeping an eye on regulations that are going to be coming out, because with any revolution, you know, of course, California is going to throw a bunch of, you know, regulations in there um, going in there. I see less federal. I've seen a lot state um, statewide. So keeping an eye on those regulations and making sure what how we're using it and when we're using it, especially we're using it in our professional settings huh. is is OK. Yeah. And having you know all those caveats um, is is going to be important. So we're on we're on that trend. If it's moving like you know rapid fire, just the last six months. So there'll be more of these um, conversations, you know, no doubt. And especially after SOC um, uh, chat SOC fully launches, um, like to have another conversation, you know, about it. Oh, there's lots of other stuff we're working on too. Yeah, I know, and it's 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 all exciting stuff. It's it all it's it's all fantastic stuff. So. Um, we ran out of time about five minutes ago, but I wanted to keep on going. I, I, I find, no, 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 we're fine. This is, this is our legal lounge. We're just hanging out. So, you know, we can have a little drink and be a little bit, a little bit over. 
Um, everybody, um, thank you so much for uh, for listening and watching on YouTube um, as well. Uh, we will again have our monthly uh, podcast for Employers Legal Lounge in February. So join us again. And thank you, my friend, Mike, for uh, joining me and giving us all of your um, your insights and knowledge in these areas. And I hope to have you on again soon. And until then, my friend. It's been a pleasure, Eric. Uh, Cheers. Cheers. Always good to see you. Thanks for listening to the Employers Legal Lounge podcast presented by Michael Sullivan and Associates. Remember to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. We release new content every month, ensuring you stay informed about the latest developments in California employment law. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, or would like to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us at msa.news forward slash podcast. We'll see you next month with another episode of Employers Legal Lounge.